Good morning, church. This morning, I'm going to continue in the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That's John 17. We'll be starting in verse 20. But remember, we were talking about Jesus praying publicly. But we were talking about him being aware of what he was doing and speaking clearly for them, for the disciples. And tonight and today, we are going to be talking about him speaking about us. Just want you to be, just just notice how aware he is. First, the first awareness he showed was that he was actually the Messiah, that he's the Christ, even used the title of Messiah in the text. And then here he is talking about us over the shoulder of the disciples. What do I mean by that, over the shoulder of the disciples? Well, how many of you have ever read the scripture and thought, hmm, that doesn't really seem to apply to me. He's not really talking about me there. Or Paul isn't talking about us. He's only talking about that situation and so on. And yes, sometimes they are speaking about specific situations. But if you've ever felt like that, let me know. If you ever felt like you're reading something and it really didn't apply. Yeah, well, the scriptures do apply, and they apply this way, just exactly as Jesus is about to say. The technical term for what he's about to do is something called the democratization of the text. What it means is that when the text is being read or spoken to somebody like the Galatians or the Romans or something like that, that the author is writing to them. And everybody that's looking over their shoulders. That means the people in the room that are maybe not Romans and the people that aren't in the room yet and the people down through the centuries. Remember that the people of God as defined the way the Bible defines the people of God isn't just all of a family uh, bloodline group because, because the Bible specifically talks about how um, it's not how your lineage is and all that. But the lineages that are in the Old Testament are all about where Jesus comes from so that we know the line and can understand the prophecy. When Jesus comes, he says, it's not about that anymore. And so the whole people of God are all those that have believed and all those that will. Here he is praying. I continue in Jesus' words. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, Lord, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. Now, if I stop right there and I start talking about this, that, that, that we are with the disciples in the battle, in the faith life, in, in the journey to understand and follow Christ, we're, we're to be one in that journey with them. Is our journey the same? Well, it's not through the same time frames. It's not the same culture. 
But right in the midst of our culture, we are called to be God's people. And so, yes, the journey is the same. The street might be different. Just like in this whole COVID thing going on, um, I've heard it said we're all in the same boat. And and I don't believe that. I think we're all in the same storm, but we're all, but some of our boats are better than others. And so we have to watch out for those that, that have uh, uh, more timid boats or or more uh, fragile boats, or or all that. So if you've got a really good, strong boat, congratulations. That just means it's your turn to come alongside somebody. Anyway, we're going on. May they be in us so the world will believe that you sent me. Unity. We're going to get into this. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Let me ask you this question right now. Have you ever felt like you had the same glory as Jesus? I think that means something different than the way that we take it because we don't... I don't know anybody that thinks that they have the same glory that Jesus had on earth and all that. None of us live like we we're loved that way or that we, we have the glory that the Lord of the Lord is upon us. Maybe we misunderstand the concept of glory. The concept of glory here isn't so much that we have spotlights on us and we've climbed the highest mountain or we've won um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Warrior whatever or or that we've won Forged in Fire. That's not the glory of winning and all that. That's not the glory that God's talking about here. The glory that Jesus and, the, and God are talking about here is pointing to the Father and being redeemed. I've given them the glory you gave me. I I was yours. I'm your son. And that was very unique, says Jesus. But now there are a whole bunch of your children running around. And and not only that, not only do we have the glory that Jesus in, in a new parentage, in a new family, as part of the people of God, we have a call to not be just in fighting all the time. Why? Because may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Our unity is the witness that the world sees that Jesus came. Look, there's a terrible amount of infighting. And just recently I was talking with somebody about the type of arguments that only Christians get into, right? that only Christians get into. What are we doing in those arguments that only Christians get into? Because those arguments are just like being in the only arguments that other people get into. And they see that and they go, oh, well, they're not any different than us. That means that they're human just like us. And that means that we're just in the same spot. See, there's no glory there. There's no glory there. So as we go on, we have to understand that as we do this, I mean, it, 
just the absurdity of the whole thing. I, I've spoken about this in, in our Tuesday night Bible study the last couple of weeks so that you know this, that, that the arguments over Bible translations, have you heard me say this? The arguments over Bible translations is a niche argument. It's, it's something that only people that love the Bible argue over. There would be no sense in being um, new living only or message only or King James only in an argument with somebody that doesn't read the Bible and doesn't care about the Bible. Do you see the absurdity of that? And so we're having this argument over which one of us loves a particular version of the thing. It's like me arguing that my favorite color should be your favorite color in your bedroom. It's, it's, a, it's an argument that doesn't make any sense. It's one of these lessons I learned a long time ago when I graduated from art school. I was there, and, and I was sitting in my grandmother's house, and I hadn't quite, um, you know, I just finished art school, and now I'm an expert, right? So you know what it is to be young and an expert? It means to be young and foolish as well. And my grandmother sat there and asked me about this painting that she had on the wall. And and Karen and I had, you know, just come back from a tour of, of many, many art galleries down in San Francisco on our honeymoon. And, and it was just like this thing. And she goes, well, what do you think about this this painting? And And Karen just said, you know, he doesn't think about paintings the way that we do. You, you don't... I mean, you get to have the painting. And so I, I essentially said that at the moment. I said, Grandma, you get to have the painting you want on your living room. But, but, she, but she continued and she pushed and she goes, but what do you think about it? And I don't know if some of you have heard me talk about this, but art, artists, people that do art, don't think about things the same way. It was like being in a gallery and noticing the consistency of the brushstrokes and the depth of the brushstrokes and the color usage and, and whether or not the person is a good draftsman and whether the perspective makes sense and whether the colors work together and, and whether the eye moves smoothly through the piece. Those photographers here in the, in the group will talk about texture and grain and, and, and clarity and, and all that in a, in a way that's beyond, um, people that are taking family photos for their own family. Anyway, I, I stepped in it that day and I came back and had to apologize to my grandmother later because she pushed and pushed and pushed until she wanted to know what I thought about it. And, and what I found out later after, you know, critiquing the brushstrokes and all that stuff is that her uncle had painted it and it was special to her for that. She gets to have that painting in her house. It's her house. I don't have to judge everybody's stuff. They get to have their things. This is a niche argument. Your art in your house gets to be your art. You get to have it the way you want, and I get to have it the way I want, and we don't have to fight over it. May, the experience, may they experience such perfect unity. See, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not having those weird niche arguments that nobody else understands, except that it looks exactly like them fighting over, over which tire or which wheel well 
looks better or or which you know i i don't even know what people have in their other arguments but um anyway father verse 24 i go on i want these whom you've given to me to be with me where i am they can see the, all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began father i want these whom you've given me to be where I am. Have you felt that way? Do you, do you recognize how much Jesus wants you with him? Even on the eve of being arrested, he's thinking about people over the disciples' shoulders, not just the disciples, but not just the people that had followed him around Jerusalem, not just that, just not his end group, but the people that will come the people that will come on Pentecost, the people with the will, that will come through the centuries. He wants them to be with him right where he is. He knows we can see the glory that, we, that God gave him. I think he also knows that we don't see the glory that God gave us through him. And how much that means love and adoption and all those ideas. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Oh, Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And they know you sent me. Look, the disciples know you, God sent Jesus. We know God sent Jesus. Jesus revealed God to those who know God sent him. And he continues to do that through the Spirit in us. And when that happens, God's love for Jesus will be in us. And Jesus will be in us the fullness of the Godhead right there in us, the Spirit, the Father, the love, Jesus, all with us. No, no, we're not abandoned. We're not left on our own. Even when it feels like we're on our own, we are just not on our own. Oh, righteous Father, that we would be with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we thank you so much that, that you've made a way for us to be adopted into the family of the Father, into God's working family. Help us stay on track and help us not get um, derailed or, or off track into places where we're arguing over things that are these arguments that nobody else is having but just like the arguments everybody else is having. Be with us. Help us see Jesus, not just as he, as he was then, but as he is in his people. And may your love, Jesus, be in us and with us. Because it's from the Father. In your precious name, Lord. Amen.